0: Welcome, this is Lisa Tomey, your host for the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. We're glad you came. Today we have Marcella Raymond, a well-established poet from South Dakota. She has completed her second book of poetry published by Finishing Line Press, And she'll be our guest tonight. And I'm looking forward to sharing this talented poet with you. I want to thank you for being here today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I thoroughly enjoyed your readings at the Poets Connection meeting of Living Poetry, which is the largest poetry group in the triad of North Carolina. I'm really proud to be a part of that group. I want to congratulate you on your latest book, the book Crooked Prayer, published through Finishing Line Press. And a statement you made from the words of Sarah Kierkegaard sums up a lot about this book. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I found this to be profound. What message do you have for the reader about this book?
1: Um, Well, I think for me, the poems um, really are about the idea that everything is sacred if, We're paying attention that even, um, you know, even the conflicts in our relationships um, are a sacred part of us becoming more human every day. So so for me, the poems reflect the this effort to become more human all the time and to become better versions of ourselves and to really understand our own nature, so um, I I feel like every day is a prayer in a way, and um, even if we're angry or irreverent, <laughs> we're still um, we're still acknowledging and being surrounded by the sacred. So that's
0: kind of what I was up to in the book. Okay. I have a friend that says, you know, she starts her day, good morning, God, and she ends the day with amen. And that's how her day goes, is one big day of prayer. That's that lovely. Yeah, that's <laughs> lovely.
1: And I should probably say that um, I don't consider myself a Christian, and I'm not a particularly religious person in the traditional sense. Um, but I do believe that um, I do believe in the spiritual. And, um, and so I try to, um, I try to acknowledge the spiritual and, and pay homage when I can to the religious, um, probably in all of my books. So a little caveat, I guess.
0: Yeah, I see that too. And in reading your book, I see that, um, that message come through there. It's woven into your poetry. Thank you. I found that, you know, it's a slow process to read poetry in general. And I am absorbing every morsel of your beautiful words. Okay. You hear, what is your process for writing poetry? Um, well,
1: um a room of one's own, as Virginia Woolf, said, for me is the most important thing because I live in a very busy household um, and I work full time and I have kids and grandkids who stop over frequently. So, So for me, the process begins when I have a bit of concentrated time by myself. I need that in order to begin the process. And then usually an idea for a poem will come, I say usually because the process can be different every time. Um, But usually the process for me begins with um, a word sometimes or um, a sentence I've heard somewhere, an expression I've heard somewhere. Or something I've seen. So, for example, I have a poem called, um, in my first book, um, The Sea is My Ugly Twin, I have a poem called Lugubrious Monsters, (laughs) and that whole poem came out of me reading the word lugubrious in another, in a novel, and then deciding I had to use that word in a poem somehow. So looking the word up, reading other examples of it used in context, and then that poem, which ended up being nothing about lugubriousness, (laughs) came to me out of that word. So it's a love of language and, you know, sound and, Um, And sometimes the process begins because I feel something very strongly or deeply and I have to write about it. So um, and those poems, I should say, need the most revision Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, they're oftentimes much too um, much too driven by emotion and much too personal at first and they need lots and lots of honing and revising. So I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. And I do tons of revising, you know, I I never write a poem that's fully fledged. They're all
0: revised um, and revised and revised. So. Now, I know a poet that says that they don't do any revision to their poetry, and I know they were joking. They were—I la- know they were joking. It was tongue in cheek because then just <laughs> the other day they said they spent a lot of time revising their poetry. My like, yeah. okay, gotcha.
1: <laughs> I, I can't imagine letting poems out of my
0: grasp without <laughs> much revision. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> really. In reading Saint Francis Gum. I am seeing Uh reference to the late, great Judy Garland. Am I right? It is a poem
1: about... It's a poem in which I decided Judy Garland deserved to be a saint. So I made her a saint. Um, And then I had to try to imagine what life must have been like from her point of view. So... That poem is me attempting to channel Judy Garland, I guess, <laughs> and well. really appreciating her so much that she
0: becomes a saint.
1: <laughs> so well, I read
0: it through, and then I'm like, wait a minute now. So I went <laughs> back through again, it took me three times, and I'm like, I got this aha moment here. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Really love that poem.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I um. Sing and play guitar, and I have played in bands for years and years. So she she's my saint of singing, essentially. <laughs> yeah.
0: South Dakota resources for poets and writers of which you're involved? Um, sure. Um, I,
1: have, I have some readings coming up in October for the um, South Dakota Festival of the Book, or South Dakota Festival of Books, um, which is an annual um, celebration of literary um, work by the South Dakota Humanities Council. Um, And South Dakota also has the South Dakota State Poetry Society, um, to which I belong. And um, they are very active in promoting poetry in the state. Um, They, um, let's see, South Dakota State University has an annual literary publication called Oakwood. Um, that poets can submit to here at USD, I'm the faculty advisor for a student literary organization, the BLP, and we publish an annual a literary journal called Red Coyote that poets can submit their work to. Um, and I'm also part of um, a group called Women Poets Collective, which is a group of um between nine and eleven members sometimes come and go um south- women poets who have some link to the Dakotas north or south Dakota um and we have a manuscript reviewing retreat once a year and then give a public reading so we we critique each other's manuscripts. <clears throat> over a weekend, once a year, and then we give a public reading. Um, and we'll be reading, the Women Poets Collective, we'll be reading at the South Dakota Festival of Books, too, this year. And um, actually, next week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I. <laughs> so, so really, there's a lot of poetry happening in South Dakota. Um, we have a great poet. Um oh there are so many poets. Too many poets in South Dakota to name. <laughs> but well, but one. much talent here. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, now, and USD
1: um the university where I teach, USD, has um a faculty poet, Leanne Rorapa, who um has uh, six books maybe five or six books of poetry, and was the South Dakota Poet Laureate. Um, and Christine Stewart, who teaches at SDSU, is the new Poet Laureate and also a member of the Women Poets Collective. So just lots of poetic activity
0: in the state. Sounds like it. That's great. Yeah. We're fortunate around here to have quite a bit of that, too. Is there anything that you would like to share about yourself that I haven't asked?
1: Um, No, I don't. I think you covered it pretty well. I guess the one thing I, I would like to emphasize is that, as I mentioned before, I didn't start publishing until I was 60. And so I I think I want to say it's never too late that, you know, that there are people who think they're too old or too far beyond the time when people should write poetry. I mean, poetry is for everyone. Yes. Really. And um, I would just encourage anybody who wants to, to, to write poems and and to read poetry because there's an amazing, amazing amount of really gorgeous poetry out there. Uh, yeah. So I, I would just, I would like to see more people uh, be involved with poetry.
0: Yeah, we'll be right back. Marcella is writing a third book now. I'm going to let her tell you about it.
1: I actually went to Ireland last year and have been for the past probably four or five years researching the Magdalene laundries of Ireland, <clears throat> which are, were institutions where run by the Catholic Church where women were, and girls as young as nine, were incarcerated sometimes for life, and forced into unpaid labor, usually for sins of a sexual nature. So, being promiscuous, being unwed mothers, um, being flirtatious, in one case stealing an apple. Um, I mean, for any number of reasons. So, I have been researching the Magdalen laundries, and I have am just putting the finishing touches on a manuscript of poems about those laundries, so mm-hmm.
0: Well, I thank you so much, and without further ado, I'm going to let you go ahead and read us some of your beautiful poetry. Oh, thank you so much. Um, okay. <clears throat> I thought
1: I would um, read some. Um, there are some poems in the Book of Crooked Prayer that have a slightly more or slightly more obvious kind of Midwestern ethos. So I thought I would read some of those Midwestern-y poems just for fun. Yeah. And because this is a writing group, I thought I would start with um, my poem, How to Practice Poetry. How to practice poetry. Take a long walk. Breathe deep. Taste the air. Keep your eyes open. Try not to think. Wet your lips with your tongue. Tilt your head slightly into the wind. Separate the sound of a single stone cracking under your boot. Feel the difference in weight between a milkweed seed and a blackbird's feather. Stray from the road on your way home until you are waist high in wet corn. Approach your house from the back. Whistle for the dog with the white mark like a crescent moon on his chest. Look your children in the eyes when they speak to you and raise your eyebrows and smile when they smile. Notice your son's mouth curves up on one side and his fingers are long and squared off at the tips like his father's. Search your daughter's right heel for the star-shaped scar where they tapped her for blood when she was two days new. Drop everything when your husband gets that soft, glazed look and presses his palm into the small of your back. Think to yourself, how like the spreading roots of a silver maple are his hands. <laughs> um. Expression as a Spirit Animal. On a good day, I see her only from afar, gray, wolfish blur curled against the murky horizon. I look away from the flash of her yellow eyes. Didn't that light once make someone weep? I can just make out her breathing, the rise and fall of her great, vague body. On a good day, I know from gaps in time or my husband's troubled face that once she had me by the scruff, sank her teeth in, shook, pounded me into the ground, snarled, tore me to shreds. There should be scars, tooth marks, pieces of ribs that I could show you all. And this is a good day. Today, everything is painless, peaceful. Who was ever caught in those fangs? I half listen for her soft pads, try to forget or recall the shape of her eyes, her rank breath. But she's a stranger now, just a faint growl in my sleep, a soft whimper now and then. I don't write a lot of poems with rhyme, but this is one of the few rhyming poems I've written. And this is called I Have No Proof. I have no proof that 13 silver moons crawl in orbits shaped like dented spoons in bins of wayward silver left behind when women pause, look up and come undone. I have no proof that planets sing a prayer, a breath, a minor scale, a sorrow thick as air, like women hanging laundry on the line who smooth a mended shirt and start to hum. And this is how I think a world begins. Caught in a milky wash of love and pain, a woman splinters, spins off and becomes a glass mosaic earth. A tiled sun. In deepest sleep, the coiled hours unwind and we can breathe again, released, fine. I have no proof, and yet I know the sky at twilight is a dark and half closed eye. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, um, I have a series of poems in the book. That are um, poems about how I would imagine a Catholic saint thinks, so they're a series of saint poems um, and and sometimes I'm looking in those poems at um, what saints might really be about, and sometimes I'm making up saints of my own in the poems. Um, but this poem is called St. John the Baptist. <clears throat> and there are actually many St. Saint John's um, saints named St. Saint, saint John. Um, but St. John the Baptist is the patron saint of health spas. Um, and I didn't make that up, even though it sounds like something I'd make up. So this is called St. John the Baptist patron saint of health spas let me burn slowly in the fire of midsummer feed me roast lamb and hypericum let me sweat off a pound a day for 40 days and 40 nights wrap the demon cellulite clinging to my thighs in a pall infused with kelp salt lemongrass Let your dizzying mineral steam drive out this ghostly evil adipose. Stir ashes and dust into rose water, a fine holy paste for stubborn heels. Purge these wanton open pores with fennel and warm clay. Anoint my idle hands with castor oil and lanolin. Lead me beside distilled waters. My ass will need a miracle. Let me fit at last into that black crepe dress, the slinky one with blue glass beads like fading stars, the one I keep buried in my cedar chest. Amen. what I imagine a a middle to older aged woman might think about stuck at a red light. So stuck on red. A beat up Ford pickup barrels past, two heads bob in rhythm. I'm stuck midtown at another red light, constructing their story. The boy is 17 all wide mouth and feed cap brim, maybe it's corn king, maybe he is that royal, sleeves rolled up on a t-shirt so white it lights up the dash, one tan arm hung out the window, the other invisible, steering with his knee, maybe it's his uncle's pickup, maybe it's the middle of August, Maybe he's supposed to be sacking groceries at IGA. She's 15, pressed against him, riding the gear shift. She smells like jasmine or lavender. She brushes the back of his neck with her braid in a move she picked up from MTV. Her hand is in his lap. Maybe her dad's the police chief. Maybe she's really that blonde, pink skin so hot, it burns his fingers. She flips her braid to one side and disappears. Gone, gone, gone. And so is he. This next poem is, um, I have a series of poems in the book that are triptychs. So three part poems. Um and this is one of those triptychs. It's called the Nature of Flood. Um and Lisa, you'll stop me when I when it's time, won't you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Triptych, The Nature of Flood. This is the nature of flood. A woman pauses a split second too long, conjures a face beloved, a soothing voice, the taste of a lover's mouth, forgets the water is waiting. A thousand hairline cracks blow open in the deep sigh of this moment, terrible and clear as any river. The prairie is cut by the hard-edged river, black water cold as underground. Water moves inside too, in a clapboard house where a woman huddles in the corner of her kitchen, rocking on her knees. It's the middle of an endless night. She's backed against the cupboards, half smothered in a rag to muffle her cries. She wants to breathe. She only wants to breathe. Stomach muscles twisted into tight pin curls. Under the bald eye of the moon, rain falls, rivers open to the sea. I I was asked once to explain who who or what my muse was and um and I thought of all those Sort of stereotypical muse images of the beautiful young woman, <laughs> and I thought that would never work for me. <laughs> I, I'd need somebody a lot tougher so um, so this poem is called Muse Like Clint Eastwood: Rough me up, Be indelicate. Go ahead, spit. I want the brief brutality. You think a ruffled hem, the faint perfume of lilies or eyes like dark half moons will push this lazy pen? Don't coax, shove. Send me off the cliff. I need to feel the impulse when ground slips from under me. When the cold indifferent air turns its back on me. No cooing or cradling. Lean over the edge, chew the butt end of your stale guitar, sneer, call me a whiny little girl, wave goodbye, look bored and walk away, trust me, thou get me clawing at the blank page of sky.
0: I hope you enjoyed the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. If you wish to keep up, go to prolificpulse.blog and follow and you can view more poetry and prolific ideas.